are the people I truly serve. Salmons, this is Year Zero. Today, Ford Fisher. You know him. You love him. One of the only true journalists around today. We chat about journalism, movies, and fishing. So, as always... RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. RyanBunting.com Ryan Bunting is a great libertarian and anarcho-capitalist. He's also a pretty good graphic designer. So go to RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. He designed my podcast logo and Pete Quinones' podcast logo for Free Man Beyond the Wall. That's ryanbunting.com. Thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. And if you want to support the show, like, subscribe, leave a great comment, five stars, five stars, five stars. But other than that, if you want something in return, check out the affiliate links for Learn Autonomy, the 19 Skills PDF, and Critical Thinking. Enjoy the show. Okay, I'm here with Mr. Ford Fisher, one of the only journalists around anymore. What's going on, man? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. That's a funny introduction. <laughs> well, you know, I, one of the things I, I wanted to mention to you uh, to, to start off the bat anyway was the fact that what makes you so attractive to, to people like me is you don't seem to have an ideological bend, which is a nice change. Because even my favorite journalists like Max Blumenthal or Matt Taibbi or Jim Bovard, they have a bend to them. So you know where they're coming from. They're looking at things from a specific lens. And you let the lens speak for you, and and so to speak, which I think is right. really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, and to maybe your audience who, if they're not familiar with me, I basically try to cover activism, uh, particularly political activism uh, across the spectrum, uh, left, right, anarchist, libertarian, communist, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is that's going on. I try to present myself sort of as like a C-SPAN of activism where I do live streams that have uh, often no commentary from me or very, very little where I just explain basic facts. You know, uh, they're currently at the Lincoln Memorial. They're marching toward the White House. This is a pro-Palestine event or like whatever. But I try to let the activists speak for themselves because the point of, you know, covering an event is supposed to be to just show what's going on as opposed to offer, uh, you know, these people are bad. These people are good. These people have the right ideas. These people have the wrong ideas. My hope is that by uh, just showing exactly what goes on that, um, you know, it can serve the cause of truth. And then hopefully the best ideas do uh, win out in the end. But uh, yeah, that has been kind of, there's definitely been a departure from that 
in the wider mainstream media. I think there are still some outlets, like I would say Reuters and the Associated Press tend to do fairly well. Um, but if you turn on cable news, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's all it's all junk, right? You pick which, uh, you know, whichever side, it's like a sports team. I like the Red Sox, you like the Yankees, right? I, oh, I'm a Fox News man. I'm an MSNBC woman, like whatever, right? People are uh, sort of rooting for their team and they watch the news outlet that tells them what they already want to hear. And that's not, you know, actually informing somebody. I think it's probably more intellectually worthwhile for somebody to uh, watch something where they may or may not agree with who they're listening to, but uh, they are sort of forced to engage with arguments that they haven't heard before, people making points that maybe they've heard or maybe they haven't. And uh, so that's basically where I come from. Yeah, I mean, you're really in in the middle of all this chaos, especially uh, that was going on last year. You were you were a fly on the wall, and it's it's refreshing because I'm not I'm not waiting on you to explain to me what I'm seeing. You're just showing me what you're seeing, and I, that's something that a lot of people aren't doing nowadays. And because, like you said, it's a, it's all team sports, and these this this team sports idea has been selling well for people, but it seems like there are a lot of people that are attracted to your style of journalism to just following the story. Um, similar to being a cameraman in Vietnam, you know, type deal. And I mean, I guess some of what you saw last year in the middle of everything was similar to Vietnam. As far as the violence goes, you want to talk about, some of the craziest sites that you did see out there? Sure, so I'm, I'm happy to tell a few stories. I'm happy to kind of answer that. But I will first say that I've on a lot of different podcasts, people make some kind of comment to the effect of, you know, that I'm a war reporter or that what I cover is similar to to covering, you know, combat in the Middle East or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so the, the one remark I would make about that is that um, my work has occasionally overlapped me with actual war correspondence where where something I'm covering is just spicy enough that uh, it becomes a mild day for a war correspondent, but worth it for them to show up to. And so I have had the opportunity to speak to them and their experiences are drastically different from mine. So I, mm. I don't like to compare myself necessarily to an actual war photographer where, yeah. you know, I've been events where people have died um and i have been at a few events with shots fired but it is not remotely comparable to you know somebody uh covering a uh, you know palestine right now or right or, uh, yeah iraq uh you know during fallujah or something you know something like that but for sure and um, i'm not i wasn't trying to put you in that category what i was what i was no, getting I at Back in Vietnam, when they covered the war, it was just the camera spoke. You know, it wasn't, they weren't right. trying to propagandize so much. And, you know, since then, it's been a different story. And I just, that's why I, I right. it's, it's like you're doing like a, your art is throwback, is kind of what I'm saying. And maybe I should have <laughs> said it a little differently. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think that something that's interesting now is that there are a lot of people who have taken up the mantle of being independent journalists, especially in the activism space. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I found, though, is that in a lot of their cases, 
the the product sort of is them like people are fans of them they appear in the thing a lot you know they they cover the thing and then I, you know I, I there are a lot of journalists who i see out there who are indie journalists who as soon as the thing is finished they're on tucker carlson that night like explaining like oh look at the things i filmed being on fire and whatever and not that there's there's, that there's necessarily anything wrong with somebody taking an approach that centers sort of themselves in the camera or that includes a lot of commentary or whatever it is mm -hmm. um but uh, the, but I think for me, the difference, like the thing to understand about my medium is that I tend to think of it as like the building blocks of documentary, right? right? So as you're watching it, it, it is a news product in and of itself. A live stream informs you, right? Raw footage informs you and shows you what's going on. Um, but like the long run goal of it is that the things that I focus on, I do try to have in depth and a lot of uh, stuff so that then it can be used in documentaries, both imminently and someday in the future, right? At the end of the day, you know, in in 50 years, people will want to make a documentary about, let's say, the the what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And they're not going to want uh, just footage of reporters talking into their cell phones, you know, selfies. They're not <laughs> yeah. going to care what Anderson Cooper said behind the desk about it. I mean, they might to some extent, but what they're going to need is raw video <laughs> that showed right. what actually happened. Um, and so I, and so that's why I think that that medium is really important. Um, I guess you were asking about different stories, but so, um, the Capitol probably is the big one, which I've, you know, <laughs> had the, um, been, become in the position where it's like everything that, you know, everybody wants to talk about it for the last four months. But yeah. I mean, as a brief overview, I did not go inside the Capitol itself during January 6th, but I was outside during the entire um siege on on both sides of it on the west side and on the east front and then sort of wrapping back to the west side um so i would certainly encourage people to see what that uh footage looked like but i do think that the mainstream media has tended to give pretty incomplete uh versions of it where um like the center left media has tended to really really center um like violence against police officers as sort of a gotcha mm -hmm. um and center the word some particular words of the president um, which, while not necessarily taken out of context, don't cover the entire 70-minute speech that he gave. Right. Um, and I've seen the, the right wing has really emphasized um, some like bizarre claims about it, like way overemphasizing the fact that there was one uh, infiltrator there who had previously infiltrated left-wing events, but they use it to characterize it as, oh, the the leftists must have caused it to happen somehow, like this kind of weird, uh, like conspiracy theorizing, yeah. which I think has pretty much entirely been debunked. But the problem is that it's gotten into people's heads. A lot a lot of people believe that stuff, essentially because Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity uh, told it to them. And so I would suggest that uh, raw footage sources like mine are probably the best way to gain an understanding of situations like that. But happy to answer any particular questions you have about it. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into that guy because I know who you're talking about. Sure. And and but but what I did see and maybe you have more knowledge of, of, of this type of person, not this particular person, but this type mm -hmm. of person at these types of events he seemed like he was there just for chaos yeah so well i mean he was also in a way there for well i guess i'm, I'm not gonna necessarily i'm not gonna use the words here was his motivation but right right but Jaden x the name of that person john sullivan is his real name um 
he he made seventy thousand dollars that day right so uh after all of that happened after he was screaming things like let's burn this bitch to the ground uh he then goes inside and happens to capture the shooting of ashley babbitt on camera and very quickly uh turns that into a thirty-five thousand dollar licensing fee from nbc and cnn each totaling he made seventy thousand dollars that day and that was before he was then arrested uh for uh his involvement in the capital insurrection but again to people who don't know who we're talking about this is an individual that was largely used as the basis of um claims by the right that very early there were right-wing claims that leftists must have done it and they basically had three pieces of evidence to go with that one was that somebody uh was matched through facial recognition to an image that was on an anti-fascist website but Antifa isn't posting pictures of their own faces on their website. The yeah. context of it was that they were posting an image and saying, you know, this guy, they were claiming that the guy is a Nazi, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously it was in the context of that Antifa site, they were calling the person right wing and then that person participated in the storming of the Capitol. Um, the other evidence was the guy with the horns uh, who goes by the name Q Shaman, who was sort of famously photographed at Nancy Pelosi's podium. Uh, some people said, well, he was an infiltrator because he was at a Black Lives Matter protest once. When he went to a BLM protest in Arizona, his sign said, Hugh sent me, right? So he was a he was a QAnon honor, um, which is consistent with what he's always been advocating for the past year. I've interviewed that guy once, obvious Trump supporter. So the only other one is Jaden X, who they say, well, Jaden X has been documented participating in leftist events. And he actually was arrested for inciting riot uh, at one point in May. Um, but in November, uh, there was an extremely lengthy and and very detailed um, thread by some left coast, uh, West, left coast, West Coast leftists who were trying to explain that he is an infiltrator in their group, that every time he would come out to events, he'd be trying to turn the things violent. And basically they thought that he was either some kind of an agent provocateur for whatever reason, or just outright that he was a fed. Um, and so it seems like just in the nick of time, he decided to you know, switch roles and kind of LARP as a Trump supporter. Um, and you know, I don't think anybody on location really knew who he was. So people didn't dare accuse him of anything. Um, but it became clear after that he that he indeed was an infiltrator. But to my knowledge, he's the only one who's um, done that. I would say as a wider comment, I, I personally think that it's um, extremely dishonorable and uh, unethical for someone to masquerade as something other than what they are in order to gain access to situations. So right. I'm certainly not going to call out names, but um, you know, I, I have seen conservative news outlets uh, you know, send reporters wearing all black to film uh, leftist demonstrations in the hope that them kind of masquerading as Antifa is going to uh, give them kind of access without being uh, assaulted. And in some cases that can be effective. Um, but I think at the end of the day, people should pre press should be starting with a premise of we tell the truth. And so if your access to the truth is premised on lies, it's my personal opinion that that's not ethical. Okay. Well, I, I have two things. I have two comments. First sure. off, you called the West Coast the Left Coast, which is out as you outed you as a right winger because that's what right wingers call it. They call it the <laughs> Left Coast. <laughs> I was saying Left Coast West West. I just didn't get West Coast leftist, and then I flopped it. I yeah, actually no. am aware of a Twitter account though called Left Coast Right Watch, so I, I think I just jumbled that up in my head. What was your <laughs> no, I, I've heard. Uh, I, I think it, I, back 
years ago, I think I heard Sean Hannity refer to it as the left coast. And so that's, that's funny. Yeah. But no, um, I, I think I do know one reporter that does what, what you're talking about and poses. I don't know if necessarily poses as Antifa is the right way to say it. Now, his excuse is, and maybe you can just burn this excuse to the ground right here because you've, you've been around this stuff. His excuse is um, that the reason he does that is because if he didn't, they would get violent with him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it is it is a reasonable thing for certain probably high-profile conservative reporters to believe that that could happen. Mm -hmm. But there are, I, I would say, though, that you can't compromise on the ethics of the actual means by which you're reporting uh, because of some other risk. Like, it sort of ends justifies the means thinking that, at least in my own uh, value system I don't like and so I, I'm I'm okay with saying you know other people have other values but it's my personal opinion that that's unethical and so if somebody thinks if I go to this thing I might be attacked and I, I would say that rather than therefore doing something deceitful that person could firstly they could hire somebody else they could uh, bring security with them um, unfortunately, they could choose not to go, right? I mean, a lot, right. plenty of people don't go to things because of the the risk at them, which I think is unfortunate. And I and to be clear, this is n that's offering no defense of the people who would attack press, right. um, nor is it delegitimizing that underlying fear. I just don't think that a that a good solution is therefore to um, enter a situation in which one is supposed to be reporting truth, and their very identification themselves is uh, is untruthful. And I think it says a lot about your reputation that, okay, I've heard of um, Andy No, Tim Pool, um, Luke Rudkowski, um, several of these guys get that, that were either were at one point independent journalists on the ground or are still independent journalists on the ground getting attacked and, mm -hmm. and, and demonized and called all these names. I've never heard that about you. Not once, not ever have I ever heard that. Now I'm not saying it has never happened to you. Mm -hmm. So have you ever experienced yourself in a situation where you were like, oh shit, am I gonna get out of this shit alive? Yeah, I mean, so it's happened a few times. I think that for somebody with my level of following, it probably happens less for those reasons. And the people who, who try to, you know, I, I think fundamentally the reason people get attacked at these events is because somebody views them as the opposite viewpoint as them, right? You're here to make us look bad, right? That's right. the that's the reason that somebody would do political violence at a at a demonstration against a journalist, and that is never okay, right? Even even if it's true, I I can say with you know unequivocally, it is never okay to initiate violence against a journalist because you because you don't like what they write or how they film or whatever. Um, with that being said, I painstakingly try to just show what happens without having my opinion uh impact it in any way whatsoever and so i don't i think i have way fewer people who actually believe that um but the weird effect of it is that those people actually exist on both sides right so if andy no uh who you described who to people who don't know he was a he's a conservative journalist who was uh assaulted in 2019 in portland by by antifa there and like if he showed up at a right-wing event, I think he could know very confidently that he would not be attacked in any way, right? He'd have his hand shaken, he'd be hugged, he'd be beloved, right? Um, I'm in the weird position of while there may be way fewer of uh, such people 
out there who think that I'm one way or another, um, they can exist on both sides. So um, there was actually a very, uh, it's funny that you're asking this today because there was an article that kind of peeved me a little bit um, on The Intercept today. And this is an actual sentence from the article. At a Proud Boys rally in Portland last September, an armed man even told the videographer Ford Fisher, who is suspected by some on the left of harboring right-wing sympathies, we know that you're Antifa. In, in one sentence, The Intercept references claims both that I'm right-wing sympathetic and that I'm an Antifa uh, activist. So, I mean, I only say this to highlight the, the absurdity on either side of them saying that sort of thing. But to answer your question, what had actually happened, the, the moment that they are referencing was that while uh, documenting a Proud Boys rally that happened in September in Portland, there was a um, self-styled militia member who was um, ostensibly doing security for the event, who um, he was armed with a pistol, which stayed in his front um, front pouch kind of holster. It was basically on his play, play carrier. Mm -hmm. um, but that armed person approached me um, and sort of took point with uh, you know several other people, but he was the main one talking. And he confronted me and said, you need to leave because we have intelligence that you're Antifa. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about right i cover these events all the time you know i'm like it's not like i'm on your guys's side but i'm not on any side i'm just i just show what happens and so whatever is suggesting to you that i'm antifa is wrong and ultimately it was resolved when um i got them to approach the proud boys president who then basically confirmed uh yeah he's an independent journalist don't give him any shit. Right. um and so it didn't end up kind of escalating but it was you mean, a, it was, you mean it was the FBI informant? <laughs> well, yeah, it does turn out that I, I to to be clear about what you mean on that, since I just said, well, yeah, and then someone's gonna be like, oh, he said whatever. Uh, yes, Enrique Tario, it turned out in 2008, I believe, um, had apparently um, done some kind of uh, confidential informant stuff as part of a plea agreement on something about drug uh, pricing or like mm -hmm. in some case, pharmaceutical drugs or something. Um, so I'm not super familiar with that case, but it, for the, for the record, I was joking, it, yeah. like for anybody listening, I'm not putting Ford on the spot. I'm just yeah, being yeah. a smart ass. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so to the, uh, I mean, so I, to give an example from the left, I guess, um, you know, in that same exact sentence, like I just told you about that, um, thing that happened in September with the right in right. that same sentence. There was a they linked to an anti-fascist account that hasn't posted in two years and only had 200 followers on Twitter, and it claimed that a contributor of mine um, had like had like edited footage to protect the right or something like that. But like she had literally just live streamed the event that they were mentioning, so it was just outright not true. Like it was just an out, outright right. lie. It'll I, I see that it only had two two retweets at the time. It's been up for two years so or more than two years so it's not like anybody even took seriously that particular claim but i mean people can you know i i don't I, I don't know exactly how that person came to that conclusion but people can make rumors i think that basically what it comes down to is if footage of mine is inconvenient to one side or another um then they're going to uh possibly try to say he must be on the other side because he filmed this thing that makes our side not look good or makes the other side look good or whatever it is. But 
Um, mm -hmm. I, I try to the best of my ability to uh, not give any reason for them to think that. And when people do accuse me of one side or the other, it's, it's usually not backed up by uh, really anything that makes sense. Yeah, well, and I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot and try to nail you down on any ideology, man, because I, I love the work that you do. And I think what you're doing is valuable. And uh, all my listeners agree with me. Um, I, I can't tell you. I, I turn I turn around at least two, three times a week, and somebody I know or somebody that listens to this podcast is sharing one of your videos or something that you've you've come out with. Um, and and so I would never I would never put you on the spot like that. And the fact that they can't nail you down just means that you're doing a good job because that's that's what journalism should be you you you're doing a you're doing a great job and you're one of the only ones who are objectively out there doing doing the work in a way that is honest uh and i, I hate this term down the middle but you're not choosing sides here so um you a lot of your footage has been used by corporate media am, am i wrong about that uh, yeah, no, that is correct. Um, so I, to be clear about like what my business is, the idea is that by I live stream so that the entirety of what I see at, at an event is available for people to see, essentially uncut. And then I put out a highlight reel afterwards that shows what I think are the most important uh, moments that summarize the thing that happened. Um, but people can still reference back the live stream. So any kind of claim of, uh, you know, takes words out of context or anything like that is, you know, and people don't usually make that claim, but but that's kind of the idea is to step away from the problem of the mainstream media who absolutely does that. But so to take it that next step further, it then is available such that if mainstream outlets, uh, if any really any outlets want to license it from me, they can pay uh, a fee to me and then have non-exclusive access to the same footage. So, you know, CNN and NBC both paid me following the uh, capital insurrection, by the way, way less than the, what we were talking about with Jaden X earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's rumors. There's rumors about why they paid him so much, but I don't feel like getting into all that. Yeah. So, I, well, I, I would just say very quickly, like, I mean, he, he filmed a historic moment in which somebody died. Right. So, um, that's different from, you know, the footage that I have, I think is extremely high quality, but there, but other people filmed moments that largely are similar, you know, whatever. So it, it's, it's kind of all about supply and demand in a way right in that i that iconic moment yeah right so um but any anyway so by licensing it to the mainstream media i have two kind of opinions of why that's actually a good thing right because it's very easy for someone to say you know my entire business is premised on i'm an alternative to the mainstream media because the mainstream media is fundamentally bad right so then right. how do i turn around and say i make i'm taking their money so um here's why when I license footage to them and they put it on air, um, it forces them to be accountable to something else. Any other source that they use, Reuters, AP, uh, their own camera person, whatever it is, they basically have control of it. They're only putting out what they want you to see of it. And there's no ability to access the original copy of it. There's no ability to access that context. If NBC interviewed you on the streets tomorrow, uh, asking you about uh, what was it like to do a podcast with Ford, right? You, they might talk to you for 10 minutes, but if it was a story about me and they just did that interview with you to put it in, uh, their story about me might be 90 seconds. They interviewed you for 10 minutes and then your clip is they used five seconds that you said. 
right? And so you'd feel hurt by that. It took it out of context. Nobody would be able to see it. Um, but if it's but if the source is something that's publicly out there, like if they used a moment from this exact podcast that we're talking about now, uh, you know, if you if you license this podcast to somebody, then whoever used it, if they took something out of context, they could refer back to this original podcast and see the original. And so my view is it actually holds the mainstream media more accountable if they feature my work because those that original context is available. And I actually have on on a few occasions. I don't do this super often because I also don't want to. Uh, you know, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to attack people. I try not to do too much criticism. But if I feel that my my video actually has been taken out of context by a mainstream media outlet, um, I will write to I, I'll like write tweets and posts and things um, describing this is the context of the thing that they showed. This is why I feel like their story is incomplete, what, whatever it is. Um, so I think it serves serves the kind of the cause of uh, the cause of truth in the end. Yeah. Now, and you know it's it's odd because you know this you know when you do license it and you sell them video that they will frame it now do you ever do you ever concern yourself with the fact that you are putting so much out there for free for normies like me to take a look at and i i say that tongue-in-cheek uh, but but we can see what you're doing as you're doing it. It never concerns you that even though you've licensed it, you've put it out there for free, that they'll go ahead and utilize it anyway. So that's a good question. Um, again, without naming uh, names, um, some networks sometimes try to just help themselves. They just steal, you know, footage and they just rip it, put it on air or whatever. Um, for the most part, if it's, uh, for example, YouTubers who... Uh, you know, take my footage and then they just stick it in their video and they actually have something to add to it, a criticism, a commentary, you know, that sort of thing. I'm usually fine with that. I'll often reach out to someone like that and uh, just message like, hey, can you just put a link back to the original video in your description? And that's about as far as I take it. Mm -hmm. um, when people just steal my video, like completely, like, you know, download my video from YouTube and just re-upload the exact same video. I actually use a tool on YouTube that allows you to ask them uh, to remove it within seven days. And as long as they delete it uh, within seven days, it doesn't penalize their account at all. Nope. Um, so, and but I don't try to seek money from that sort of person. But if a news outlet, uh, if a Fox News, a CNN, uh, a New York Times or someone like that is going to uh, you know, steal my work and basically just put it on air. Um, I basically have a um, copyright representative who sends demand letters to them and can escalate that as far as it has to for me to essentially get a retroactive licensing fee. So I will say, if you're familiar with my logo, the uh, logo that's at the bottom right-hand corner of most of my videos, sometimes it's somewhere else, but usually bottom right-hand corner, mm -hmm. uh, or if you see my name on the news, uh, always message me about it if you do, because there's a very good chance that I haven't seen it. And if the outlet that you're watching didn't license it from me, uh, it can be worth hundreds of dollars to me uh, to go reach out to them and try to get a licensing fee from them. So uh, I often, well, it's not even a joke. I often mention online, uh, seriously, if you if you reach out to me, you, anybody, the listener, reaches out to me and says, I just saw your work on, uh, you know, Wolf Blitzer at 8.03 p.m. Um, and I didn't know about it and they hadn't licensed it, then I will send you $10 or buy you a beer in person if we have the ability to do that. That's my actual agreement to the to the world. Um, and I, I've mentioned that on many other programs and things. So um, that's awesome. not a new thing. <laughs> 
So much of the focus of my podcast is to point out abuses of power and how bad things have gotten and the direction in which we're heading as a society. And it can be a real black pill. I've partnered up with Richard Grove to offer my listeners an opportunity to sign up to his autonomy course. Uh, The autonomy course is designed for people looking for solutions, people that want to shape their own future, people that are not willing to be at the behest of large corporations or the United States government or the banking system. The autonomy course is designed for those of you who wish to have complete control of the reins of your life, who are looking to be successful, that to thrive and not just survive, to provide for your family by utilizing your existing skills and learning how to market and sell those skills in order to be your own boss or learn new skills in order to leverage that into a new career opportunity. So if there's a job out there you've been trying to get or you've been wishing you could get, but you just don't have the skills for it, the autonomy course is the place for you to start to learn how to land that position, to learn how to market yourself better, to gain confidence, and to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people that will encourage you and help you along the way. So use my affiliate links and go check out the autonomy course. It could be right for you. Awesome. So uh, I'm a truck driver, and the one thing I can't stand is talking about driving trucks all fucking day. So I'm not going to just <laughs> I'm not going to make you sit here and just talk about journalism because that's what you do all the time. I'll, let's let's talk about you for a minute because I think what what a lot of people are wondering is who is Ford Fisher behind the camera. So what got you into this? Um so I actually started at American University hoping to study film and media arts or I did I did study film and media arts. That was actually my still my major. Um, But when I entered, I was actually more interested in fiction film. Um, So my originally my hope was to make, you know, just movies do like kind of the Hollywood type thing. And I actually have had the opportunity on some occasions to uh, work on, um, you know, I was actually lead editor on a Korean horror movie, which was awesome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's cool. You know, I've been able to do some script consultation. My um, my final project actually in college was a um, was a feature war film as a script. It was a 95 page um, screenplay, um, which I did option to a production company for one year and they never made it. They never got to make it any any further. But, you know, it was it was making a serious kind of, you know, fiction product. Mm. and I still actually do have quite an affinity for it. My girlfriend, Helen, knows I make her watch movies all the time. <laughs> I, pro- I probably watch more, you know, mo- at one point I was watching more movies per year than there are days in a year, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so but, who's, your, who's your favorite, who's your favorite uh, director? My you... favorite, yeah, my favorite director is uh, Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Um, so I Good really choice. love- yeah, so my favorite movie is Pan's Labyrinth, which I would suggest to um, anybody who you know it's it's a little violent. There's some there's some bloody moments, but I think that it really um, it does an amazing job of capturing the setting of 
you know, Franco's Spain, you know, which is a which is a bloody war, but it does it's you see it through the eyes of a child, mm -hmm. and you see it with it. I from your gestures, I'm assuming you've also watched this. Yes, sir. Um, so uh, as you know, but as your audience should watch, um, it's beautifully written, and it and it encapsulates, I think, both the imagination of a child and the setting of the horrors of war. But there are some incredible moments sort of without commentary. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, give any spoilers, but there are some real moments of commentary about what it means to have like authority over somebody, right? That the antagonist um, character uh, is somebody who sort of, he's, I mean, he's a military general in within basically Spanish fa fascism. And he, uh, has this kind of command and control style about everyone, like including his own family. Yeah. And um, so there's incredible dialogue that surrounds that of, you know, the different manners in which people resist that. There's people who resist it in a subversive uh, way where they're kind of secretly um, assisting the enemy uh, of him. There are people who, you know, directly confront him at some points or others. Um, right. So there, there's nonviolent resistance, there's violent resistance. Right. So, I mean, I think that it's a really um, interesting story about how people grappled with a very challenging time in history. And I think it goes well with many of his other films. Uh, his previous film before that was Devil's Backbone, which was also the Spanish Civil War through the eyes of a child. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that's my favorite director. I could talk a lot more about him. I think most people know him probably now for um, either Pacific Rim, you know, giant fighting robots, yeah. uh, or they know him for uh, Shape of Water because, you know, a lady had like sex with a giant fish in it. If it makes you feel really worth seeing. If it makes you feel any better, Pan's Labyrinth is the only of the four that, that you named that I've ever seen. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. If if you go really early, the other one I would recommend is uh, Kronos is a really interesting exploration about uh, through kind of a horror film lens. But it's an interesting exploration of the idea of like immortality. Like, would you would you really want to, you know, access that fountain of youth, that kind of thing? Yeah, I was I was actually a little disappointed you didn't say Kubrick. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I've seen, I think, every single Stanley Kubrick film, uh, I, I, including, I including the ones him. no one's heard of, like Barry Lyndon and so forth. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Full Metal Jacket <laughs> is probably among my uh, favorites. A Clockwork you know, I, Orange I is my favorite movie ever. Clockwork Orange is awesome. I think it, it actually touches on many of the same themes that we just uh, talked about with yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. But it in does. A, <laughs> in a very different and uh, quite disturbing way. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess so does Full Metal Jacket really talks about those ideas of like power uh, as well. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that that's it's what good filmmaking is, is it makes people question, uh, you know, the authority that the characters on screen say or believe that they have. I mean, you can even think about Star Wars, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's sort of all about that, right? The, the rebels as the protagonists. Um, right. But sometimes it, in some films, it's not so clear cut. And sometimes that's the uh, those are the better ones. But uh yeah, I mean, there's definitely a clear bad guy in Pan's Labyrinth, though, right? Spanish fascism is bad. <laughs> no two ways to cut that. Uh, maybe that's why, you know, that, that could be an explanation as to why my favorite movie, um, whenever I think of the most most rounded movie, the best movie, the, the way it's made, the way the story's told and everything, I always think of Legends of the Fall. And, you know... I'm an anarchist, so the government's bad, you know. So, yeah, that there's that scene with uh, 
there's that there's that scene where uh, Hopkins is is screw the government. So, but but hey, um, I know, I know you have your uh, hold on, Boogie. I'm sorry, my dog's licking me. It's distracting. Oh, know, what kind of dog do you have? I have a pit. You want to see him? Oh yeah, I'd love to see your pit. Of course. All right, hold on one second. I got to get this headset off. Well, I guess it's audio only, so that your audience won't. But I get yeah, to see your dog. That's yeah, right. he'll he'll tear my head off. He'll tear my head off if I leave this headset on. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right, buddy. Come on. Come say hi. Come on. Come on. Come on. Look. You got to get up in the camera. Oh yes. Yes. Oh. Okay. Okay. Look. There's a camera here. Look. I see him. I know he's. I know he doesn't want to look into the. Camera. Oh. Pretty <laughs> eyes. <laughs> All right. I love those ears. I'm sorry. I knew you were talking, but I couldn't hear you. Like I said, I took the headset off. Um, all right. Well, I want to. I want to finish this up. I know you got other stuff to do, man. You're a busy guy, uh, and uh, I want to. Actually, got a second podcast tonight. If you can believe it. <laughs> well, that's good, man. That means like you're not in. You're not like in in the middle of all the nonsense going on all around us. Um. I guess the last thing I want to know is how'd your fishing trip go, man? Oh, fishing. Yes, that was fun. I actually, um, in the past I have fished, but usually had someone else like fillet the fish for me. So last night, the adventure other than, um, fishing for 12 hours was very fun, but, uh, was actually, I did cut it up for the first time. Um, you know, the one that I actually brought home. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, I will say that sea bass is actually not as flavorful as I wish. Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend and I drink or eat a lot of salmon, and uh, sea bass is a lot of fun to fish. They really put up a uh, they put up a fight, but um, in the end, they're just not that tasty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad at least you had a day off, dude, because I know you're working your butt off, dude. Yeah. So, but hey, plug everything you got to plug, man. I know you got to go. I don't want to keep you too long. I I'm gonna get this dog out of the truck anyway. So, sure, no worries, and I'm happy to come on another time as well. But um, so my outlet is called News to Share. That's news the number two share, uh, one word, News to Share, and that's on Facebook and YouTube, as well as what the website NewsToShare.com. Um, and additionally, I'm Ford Fisher, so you can find me on Facebook at Ford Fisher and Twitter at Ford Fisher, F-O-R-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And my work can be supported on Patreon, um, which is patreon.com slash Ford Fisher, and the account's name is News to Share. But, uh, you know, if you want to basically regularly support my work. I will also say, if anybody's listening who has other questions for me or anything like that, I'm pretty accessible on social media. I do have open PMs on all of those. So when I get messages that aren't some kind of nonsense or hate mail or something like that, I actually do try to be really responsive. Um, so if you have any, um, you know, questions or thoughts about my work, I'm happy to talk to you. All right, Ford, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You be safe out there and uh, keep up the good work, man. I hope to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, buddy. You have a good one. Just a slave 
All your good intentions took you to your grave. Your pride is how they killed you. With the flag you wave just like a fool. They promised you a mountain, gifted you a stone. They demanded that you throw it into your neighbor's home and then seize all that they worked for and give it to the throne just like a tool. Well, as we all just stand in line and glorify new ways of being cruel. Seems to me humanity is not something that they're teaching us in school. They dumps down all around propaganda, their pollution. They set a cage up on the stage, a facade for a solution. They build a wall, block them all from this mental institution. It's insane. These crimes done in our names Seems to me authority and tyranny Are both one and the same Till our right to freedom is understood.